Hey, what's up, DBC fans? If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let us explain. Well, first of all, Freddie, the best part is it's free. There's nothing better than using a free, awesome service. To make the process simple and easy, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor helps people find your show by distributing the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more platforms. Also, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. I like like money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. We love using Anchor. It's a great platform that lets us hear from the fans and reaction theater with Anchor's Leave a Message feature. So when you create your account with Anchor, you can also utilize their feature and make your own podcast. TJ will uh, be your first guest. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started. Hey, I'm Brett Griffin. You're listening to Door Bumper Clear presented by OfferPad. Today we've got Ryan McGee of ESPN on the show. Longtime friend of mine, great guy. We'll catch up with him and then talk about Joy Logano getting in Kyle Busch's way. TJ blocking, imagine that. Slow lap cars at Bristol and more silly season news. Let's do it. Nobody's listening, but I don't care. I'm on an episode of Door Bumper Clear. Hey, me too now. This is Freddie Kraft. Get ready. Be ready. Be ready. Play. Give me what you got here. New leader. I'll watch out for this guy. White flag. Recognize. Go low. Go low. Clear. Bring home. Three wide. Coming to the line. Door. Bumper. Clear. Hey, everybody. I'm TJ Majors. It's part of the 22 Cup Car 99 pickup truck. Good for you, man. Brett Griffin, spotter for Clint Boyer. What's up? It's Freddie Kraft, spotter for Bubba Wallace, Derek Krause, the dinger, whenever he decides he wants to race again. Uh, we actually a cool deal today. We've got a very important guest. Ryan McGee is going to join us, not only as a guest, but he's also going to give his opinions on our topics. Like We don't, haven't done that in a while, since probably since Gluck. Or... He's a good guest, but honestly, I've been thinking about this, and, and TJ, I think you have the final vote in whether or not we do this. I think next week... We should bring Casey on as a guest for five minutes just to see hey, just to say hey and see how she's doing as a new mommy. What do you think? I don't know why she can't come back full time. Man, let's go, Casey. Maternity leave. What's that? Yeah. <laughs> you can give us a maternity <laughs> hour here. You did all the hard work. I mean, this, the rest of it's easy, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like buying a puppy. The cheapest part about buying a puppy is buying it, the rest of it is expensive. <laughs> she's done the easy part, Freddie. The hard part is the next 18 years. It's true. Freddie thinks the hard part is giving birth. I promise you that's probably not easy. <laughs> I promise. I can't imagine it is. I promise ah. you at 3 in the morning when that baby wakes up crying and you think you're sleeping good. <laughs> TJ, yeah. how much sleep do you get your first kid? Both, both of them, man. Right when you think you're sleeping good, that thing goes off again. You fall asleep and it goes <laughs> off goes again. Off. It goes off. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was sleeping good last night. We we had some people over, enjoyed some. Uh, got my new Hannah Newhouse t-shirt I from Hannah. It. They came over yesterday for, little football, so I might have partaken in a little bit of beer drinking, and then next thing I know, I'm sleeping, and the 
must have been maybe it's a potential that I might have been snoring, and I feel the old bed raising me up, and I'm like, what the hell's going on here? Woke me up out of a deep sleep. So your well, bed, your bed's got a razor thing in it. Uh, yeah, like it'll it'll raise, like you can raise the head. Why but they wake Megan you up? Megan bought it. The only reason Megan made me buy this bed was because the guy the guy selling it was an incredible salesman. He told her, <laughs> does he snore? Because if he snores and you buy this bed, you just raise the head up a little bit, he'll stop snoring. Yeah, because you we wake him bought, up. We bought it right. Th- yeah, exactly right. <laughs> if, you, if you punch him in the face, he also will I stop. T- snoring. I, I think I told you the story about the dog, right? The first day we had, like the like the first week we had this bed, I'm sleeping and it's just got. A little remote, you know, that and I don't even know why it was in the bed, but I'm sleeping and it's got a, a head and the feet raised Somebody up. Somebody lay on the remote. The, the dog. So I'm like, I'm sound asleep <laughs> and the, my I'm getting folded up like a pretzel and I'm start, I'm like, yo, babe, wake up. Was it Megan, vibrating? Megan, wake up. And she's down. I look over and she's sound asleep. I'm like, what the hell's going on? The do- I look over, the dog's just got his paw folding me up like a pretzel in my bed. I'm like, you son of a get out of here. Maybe the dog heard you snore and didn't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> Holy cow. All right, we got a long, big show, man. Let's kick it off. Let's bring Ryan on here, Jason. Ryan McGee in the house. What's up, y'all? Yo. What's up, dog? What's up? So what you been up to, dude? Oh, you know, I was, um, when the, when the things, so I was in, the last time I was on an airplane or in a hotel was the Tennessee-Kentucky game in early March, like March 8th. And when that, when everything went, I was on my way to the airport to go to the SEC tournament, and they said, turn around. And then they go, no, wait, drive to Atlanta, because there's a race on Sunday. So great. I got to about Gaston, and they called, and they said, nope, never mind, turn around again. And uh, I thought I wouldn't have anything to do. I was so freaking busy this summer. It was crazy. But uh, that's good, though. We were on the runway getting ready to take off, and they shut the motors down. It's like, yeah, you're not going now. So what you been busy doing, man? Well, we're right now, we're, Marty McGee starts Wednesday night. I mean, the actual TV show starts Wednesday night. We've been doing a radio show. but we'll. Uh, so we've been getting ready for that. And, uh, and the problem is we keep writing stuff that doesn't run because – like I wrote a big story about the Northwestern like coaching staff and how they're watching football together on Saturdays, but they're not going to coach. And then, you know, now the big Ten's coming back. So I've written some beautiful stories that no one's ever going to read. <laughs> so, so let's start from the beginning, man. Ryan McGee's born. There is a pedigree in your family for sports. Tell us, yes, sir. Tell us where that came from, man. What got you here? Well, it, it I mean, I, I think it's like this for everyone, right? I, I think that, um, you love certain sports or you love certain teams or you love certain, you know, whatever about sports because of how you were raised or where were you raised. But a lot of it has to do with who did your daddy pull for or where'd your mom and dad go to school or where'd your granddad go to school or what town do you live in? And so for me, it was about dad. Um, my dad, Dr. Jeremy McGee was a college football official for decades. Um, and uh, I right, wrote a book about it. So right, I put it right here behind me so y'all could see it just in case. And the and, and also, my dad was gas can man. You, you guys know I'm a Rockingham guy. And uh, when my dad was in the Army in the mid-60s, uh, he was scrubbing toilets one day next to this guy from Wisconsin. And he said, uh, Jerry, you're from Rockingham? And dad's like, yeah. And he goes, well, I'm a race car driver from Wisconsin. When I come down to uh, uh, to Darlington and Rockingham and Charlotte and Raleigh, I need crew guys. And my dad's like, okay, Dave, Marcus, whoever you are. And, and, and sure enough, like four years later, the phone rang 
and it was Dave. And so my dad was a gas can man. And of course, I mean, I was born just a few miles up the road or down the road from, from the racetrack in Rockingham. So that's why you love, that's why I love NASCAR and I love college football because my dad was a college football official and, and my brother and I got to go to games and uh, get to the stadium early and we learned how to cuss, listen to people scream at my dad because you know, he was a referee. And so it's just it, that, but that's why you love the sports that you love. And that's probably, I, I know it's the same for you guys. Yeah. I told Freddie how deeply entrenched your, uh, your, your, your pedigree is into sports, man. So I met you for the first time in 1999 at the Labor Day race. Now we had had some phone calls and, and emails and stuff and whatnot, but I met right. you in person for the first time. Uh, we were run with Elliot Sadler, a muscular dystrophy association paint scheme for, for a Jerry Lewis telethon. And you and That's I right. spent a lot of time uh, on that feature, man. But what was the first race you actually covered as a journalist? The first race I covered as a journalist. Um, now, so I started right out of college. My first week at ESPN was the week of the first Brickyard 400. And, was that, 94? Yeah, 94. And, and I, I became a really big deal really fast. Were you impressed that I knew ESPN. that right there? <laughs> I, 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 knew, I knew you'd know that because you know how I knew you knew that? Because when I first met you, I, when was the Wood Brothers 50th anniversary? Uh, that was that was 2000. All right, that's still the greatest press kit You're anyone's ever done. I still have Thank it. You. I, I really do. It's in this drawer right here behind me. I'm going to dig it out later. But no, it's, but I know you know your history. I know all you guys do. But I, um, uh, I, so I, when I started at ESPN in the mid 90s, the only Southerners in the entire company, it was me and Reese Davis. Um, and he was from Alabama and I was from North Carolina. And I sounded like I was from North Carolina. Reese at that point had scrubbed his Southern accent. I give him a hard time about it. You, yeah, you, you get him on a Friday night just talking. All of a sudden he sounds like he's from Muscle Shoals. And, uh, <laughs> but, 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 but because of our Southern accents and certainly because I was from Rockingham, they assumed the two of us knew a lot about NASCAR and we certainly knew more than they did. So that's a long way of saying I worked on a show called RPM tonight. Uh, I covered a lot of races from, from a long way away, but my first Daytona speed weeks, uh, that was the first time I was paid to go to the racetrack with a credential on. And that was, uh, that was speed weeks 96. Wow. Um, so yeah, so I hit, I think I hit number like number 25 last year, which is in a row, which is, I mean, that's not, that's not Glenn Wood numbers, but that ain't bad. No, that ain't bad. So, you have touched, man, so many people, right? Obviously, on, on your way up, now you're on the up and up. People are looking up to you. Who do you look back on? And I'm going to put you on the spot because, obviously, we're, we're a NASCAR podcast. NASCAR-wise, who mentored you? Who who gave you your shot? Who, who do you look up to the most? Uh, Benny Parsons. Um, you know, he Benny was – obviously, you guys know, lived in Ellerby, um, drove for Mr. DeWitt. Uh, who owned the racetrack at Rockingham. Um, and my dad had known Mr. DeWitt his entire life. And so when I started at ESPN, um, I'll never forget one night uh, I'm sitting in screening where you sit and watch TV and you write down everything that happens. You cut highlights for sports center and the phone rang. Like they paged me, Ryan McGee, you have a call online. So-and-so. And I picked it up and it was BP. And, um, and Benny was like, Ryan, they told me there's a Rockingham boy. There's a Richmond County boy. <laughs> Uh, at ESPN, I said, yeah. And he goes, what do you need? And from that point forward, if I ever had a question, um, if I wasn't sure where my career was going to go next, 
Um, you know, I called Benny and th this was a, this was a year before we started RPM tonight. And for folks that don't know, RPM tonight was a nightly motorsports show we did for years at ESPN two, the first nightly motorsports show. And John Kernan, the B first host of it. I know he hosted. Yeah. 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 yeah it was a uh, Ken. We well, actually, Kenny Maine was Kenny Maine. Yeah. yeah. Kenny Maine was, was Kenny, so funny yeah, was, in that show. I love Kenny. It. We did the weekend show with Kenny and then eventually we started the nightly show in, in Charlotte and, uh, and we brought on John Kernan and it was Kernan and Jerry punch and, and BP and, and all those guys were always so good to me. But Benny in particular, man, if I had any question at all about anything, and that included, you know, you know what are they talking about, this track bar stuff or whatever. I, I called Benny, he answered the question. And, and he, from, I miss him every day because he was so good to me. I, in my office, I keep, I keep a picture of uh, my heroes that aren't with us anymore, and Benny's absolutely in that group. Man, that's, that's, that's a, a great tribute. All the stuff you've covered, and man, you've covered a lot. A tremendous writer. What, what's the biggest? What's the biggest story or favorite article you've ever written? You know, uh, Usain Bolt, fastest man in the world, second fastest. You hadn't seen me run, right? Four, four yeah, two forty, and that, you won't. I either. told, yeah, I told Bolt, you didn't see me run at Travis Rose High School. That's South right, Carolina. If you, yeah. if you had, you'd have, you'd have changed your mind. But no, I, they sent me down to Jamaica to do a story on Usain Bolt at really at the height of his powers, right for the world championships. And, uh, and I went down there and spent two or three days with him. And, and in the beginning, they were a little standoffish because they said, no, you write drug stories. We don't want to talk to you because you write drug stories. I'm like, no, I don't. And they're like, they had Googled me and there was all this Jeremy Mayfield stuff with me. And they're like, yeah, you write drug stories. I'm like, no, I don't. And so I ended up spending three days with, with uh with bolt in the mountains of jamaica going to seeing uh little babies that had aids and watched the the power that he had and how he handled it with such grace and oh by the way i mean won the jamaican you know championships in like four different events by like 100 yards and uh but the the, the real story there was was that this is really early on facebook had just started and i was addicted to like posting stuff on facebook and i had posted hadn't posted anything like three or four days because it couldn't get cell service. It was literally in the mountains of, of Jamaica. Well, y'all were racing at New Hampshire that weekend. And what I didn't know was, was that some guy named Ryan McGee, like apparently partied too hard at Lake Norman that weekend and like went face down in the water and they thought he was dead and they took him to the emergency room, all that stuff. Well, word gets out on Lake Norman that Ryan McGee is dead and local news is reporting it and no, no one can find me. And my family's at the beach and no one knows, has my wife's telephone number. And I land uh, at Myrtle Beach from Jamaica to meet my family. And I finally get cell service. And I have like all these messages. Wow. And there's people going, where are you? Where? And I find Dave Hart, uh, long, the PR guy now, oh, Texas yeah. Motor Speedway. I got, I got a, the, the last voicemail I heard was from Hart. And I called Hart and he goes, you're alive. I go, yeah, I'm alive. And he said, hang on. And he ran into the media center at New Hampshire and announced, I'm on the phone with McGee. He's alive. <laughs> I had no idea. So the biggest <laughs> story you ever on. covered was that you're alive. <laughs> yeah. But, but anyhow, the point is, is that I've never seen, I mean, we all think that the guys we're around are famous, but when you see Usain Bolt, one of the biggest stars in the world on his island in his element, that was, that's just a story I never expected. Tell me about him. Is he a good guy? Cause I'm a big fan oh, of his. Unbelievable. Um, and that's the that's the part too is you guys know the, the deal. You go to interview, you know, never meet your heroes, right? So you go to interview all these athletes, and a lot of times you're disappointed. But in the case of Bolt, I kind of went in thinking, 
this guy's a really big deal. This probably isn't going to go well. And he couldn't have been nicer. Once I got through his people, he was great. You're a football guru. Could he yep. play the game of football? Oh, yeah. No, there's no question about it. And and had NFL teams reach out to him more than once. Um, yeah, If listen, if you're fast, you're fast. You know, I'm a Tennessee guy. I always think about Willie Galt. And, like, uh, in our book, my dad writes about James Jett, who was a West Virginian, won a gold medal, and all of a sudden blew past dad on the field at West Virginia one day. And everybody's like, who the hell is that guy? And so, yeah, if you're if you're fast, you can play the game. And he's so tall, and his hands are just enormous. And apparent, and he was an amazing soccer player, uh, from what everyone says growing up. So, yeah, he, he could have played. There ain't a question about I mean, it. He won world championships looking backwards to see how big his gap was. That's how fast yeah. he is. No, no, it, it was crazy. And should has every excuse in the world to be the cockiest dude and the most arrogant dude in the world. But my experience with him was was nothing like that. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. I, you know, I, I just one thing I want to touch on before we get started with our actual show was, you know, in the in the height of Corona here, all that stuff started going on with Bubba, and I really don't have a personal relationship with Ryan. We've spoke a couple times across some DMs and stuff, but one of the things that stuck out to me during that moment, that during those whatever couple weeks, was was your deal on first take. You know, you're you're kind of I don't I don't want to call it a rant, but you know what you said about the Confederate flag and stuff, and I just want to know like. Where, where did that come from? I know, like, a guy as deeply rooted in the South as you are took a lot for you probably to, to, to go that far with it. But, I, I, it, like, I went back and forth with people. I was pretty outspoken on Twitter, obviously. And, and you based, what you said on that show put everything, like, that I was thinking in my head into words perfectly. Well, and you, you told me that when you and I went back and forth a little bit on Twitter, DM, and I, I can't tell you how much that meant to me because that, that was – when I said earlier, I was so much busier this summer than I expected to be. Uh, some of that was for reasons I saw coming, and a lot of that was for reasons I did not. And that Confederate flag uh, sto- a column was was certainly something I didn't see coming. But, I, you know, guys, it's crazy, and y- y'all know this. There's certain projects that you work on for months and for years. And for me, I throw something out there, and a, a feature like an ESPN the Magazine piece that I worked on for six months, and I don't ever hear a word. And uh, I wrote that column in about 45 minutes. Um, and and I, when it happened, I called my boss. I said, I have to write something. I, I said, because I, I feel this passionately about it. Um, I felt like that flag uh, should have been banned from the racetrack a long time ago. A lot of people, Dale Jr., agreed with me, with us on that. And so, um, you know, when you write a column like that and you get so personal and you are um, – you're vulnerable and you're, you're exposing your family. I mean, you know, I, I write about my family's history and, and in the context of don't come at me with what that flag actually means. I know exactly what it means and I know what it used to mean and I know what it means now. And, uh, and I just, uh, I appreciate you saying that, man, what a, what a, what a, what an incredible tie. I can't, I don't, I'm not, I don't want time to go any faster, but I'm really, really curious to see 10 years from now, how we look back on the spring and the summer of 2020. I mean, just obviously in the world, but per- particularly in our corner of the world in a garage, because um, I never thought I'd, I would have the opportunity to write that column. And I'm glad that I was because uh, the right thing was done. I'm, I'm thankful that we finally got sports back because the pandemic, I think we spent 10 weeks with no NASCAR. We were obviously yeah. the, the first thing back. And now I can't turn on my TV without being able to watch sports. Like as a sports fan, 
it uh, it's it's literally too much, man. Like I'm overwhelmed by how much sports is out there. So you're you're posting all these pictures from the beach of how you're uh, you're working your butt off down there <laughs> and eating all these great low country bowls. How many hours a day are you working right now trying to keep up with all this? It's nonstop. And uh, and I warned my family. I said, when this happens, it's going to happen. And the SEC didn't start till this weekend. We and, actually and, finally get college football back this week. I yeah, know you uh, can't yeah, say yeah. that, but I can say that. <laughs> Big yeah, ACC fan it, over here. Yeah, but it's crazy, man. It, it's um, and and I'm telling you right now, uh, this college football season. I mean, even if we, even if it's just a couple of conferences, we're talking about a college football season that's going to start on Labor Day weekend. It might not end until Easter. And, and that's in addition to, uh, you know, you guys been at the racetrack every weekend and triple headers. And, uh, yeah, this past weekend I couldn't keep up. And we're going to have the Masters, what, in the middle of November? And and uh, we just had the 24 Hours of Le Mans in, at the end of September. I mean, it's just – it's the whole thing is crazy. But it's – there's not enough people to go around, and we're not even allowed to travel very much. So everybody's covering things remotely. And, uh yeah. It's uh, this is a good time to be a Swiss Army knife if you're any employee anywhere at all, especially in sports. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ryan McGee, good to have you on our show, man. We're gonna kick this thing off. Uh, I know you've listened before. We go through a lot of different segments, and uh, I want you to be your normal, candid, fun self. Don't hold anything back, man. Give us, give us that Ryan McGee opinion that we all value so much. Oh no, hey, hey, hey I'm, I'm a, I'm a fan of the show, so I know, I know what the tone is here. <laughs> all right, good. We're gonna go from being serious with you to we're gonna have a hell of a lot of fun. So before we get started, let's hear some more about our presenting sponsor, OfferPad. We're off to Sin City for the second Las Vegas race weekend of the season. And we have some really good news for those of you that live in the Las Vegas area or, Freddie, if you want to move there. I don't think either one of us ever need to move to Las Vegas. But some of you might want to, and our presenting sponsor, OfferPad, has a market in Las Vegas. OfferPad can help you sell your home in Vegas or help you buy a new one there, too. I think it's a great idea if you both moved to Vegas. <laughs> there is so much to do every time we go to Vegas that I can only imagine living there would be a lot of fun. That could be you, and OfferPad.com wants to help you make that happen. Once you decide you want to sell your current home, log on to OfferPad.com. Take five minutes to fill out the form about your home, and OfferPad will send you an offer within 24 hours, which is how long I stay awake when I'm in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> then check out the homes for sale in Las Vegas on OfferPad.com and make your selection. OfferPad is revolutionizing the home buying and selling experience, and they want to help make your move as smooth as possible. Jason, how, what letter is O in the alphabet? What's the number? I have no idea. All right, well, whatever number it is, that's what I'm playing for craps this week. O for OfferPad on the old uh, roulette wheel. Sorry, not craps. Log on OfferPad.com today, and they'll get you started. <laughs> Make sure you tell them we sent you by selecting the podcast option in the How Did You Hear About Us question. I think it's 16. I'll play 16. O for OfferPad. Spot on. Spot on. Spot on. Spot on. Spot on. Spot on, spot off, first topic. Kyle Busch says Joey Logano's nobody's friend for a reason after getting held up behind the lap 22 while battling for the lead. TJ, spot on, spot off. I didn't see this one coming. Jeez. Spot off, man. Or I don't really, I don't really care what Kyle says. I mean, I don't personally. Uh, at this point in the playoffs, you're racing for every single point you can. And, you know, I, you, you – 
there was an opportunity that if the caution came out, you you move up, you get out of the way. I mean, not you, there, you can't really get out of the way at Bristol. Uh, you see that all night long. So we move up, leave him the bottom, and he chose to follow us for a corner too long, I guess. Uh, and you know, I, look, if the caution comes out, we can gain three, four more points. If the caution, if we get lapped and the caution comes out, we can lose four more points, four or five more points, maybe more than that. Um, Let me ask you this: Did three or four points make a difference on Saturday to you? How yeah, many of those points yeah, matter? How, how many points would have you would you have carried why, over why, until the next round, TJ? Why, yeah, why would it have mattered? Say if you can if you carry four over, you can't you carry can't them. Ca- over. You're not carrying those well, points over. I mean, you're trying to get everything you can. So, so why'd you block him? We didn't block him. Why'd you move up? We we were already running up too. <laughs> <laughs> I, I so I heard that from Hirschman. I walk out and they both stand next to me. So Tony Hirschman spots for Kyle. TJ spots for uh, yeah. Joey, obviously. And so I'm they're right next to me, and I'm packing my stuff up, and I hear – and Tony likes to tell everybody what they do wrong. Tony's, oh, yeah. Tony is perfect. I don't know if he knows this, but everybody else knows it. Uh, so And TJ's never wrong either. So it was a great conversation to dip into there for a minute. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I, his biggest thing, I think, was that you moved – you ran the bottom for a bunch of laps and then moved up when they got there. And I think that's what Kyle was pissed off about. But I just, I just don't like. We've talked about this before, making enemies, and I that, those three or four points that you were banking on, if because if you could have won the race, yes, you race your ass off to stay on that lead lap or one down. If you could have won the race, because that's a big deal. That's bonus points. That's points you're carrying to the next round. Those three or four points that you might have gained if you caught a caution, I don't think they're worth pissing Kyle Busch off to race against the rest of this playoff. Do, do I, I just want to know: Does Joey Logano have another friend that's a driver? TJ, like, do you know? Or is Kyle right? I think he's got a handful of them. I don't like, but let's go back to what you said though. Elias Adler had every friend in the garage. Who calls him now? Yeah, no, I, I'm just asking: Is Kyle Busch so wrong or right? Uh, does he have friends? I mean, in the does garage? Coleman Presley count? Coleman used to drive. Does that count? He's he's a friend. <laughs> Coleman is that. Coleman's I'm, retired. Coleman is uh, M- McGee. Yeah. You you watch Kyle Busch race all these years. You watch him dominate. Uh, in in the lower series, and then he obviously wins a lot of cup races. Now he's not running those lower series, and he's not winning cup races. Is that why he's on a winless streak? There's, uh, I, I did not see it coming, and I look back now, and I, I should have. We all should have that when qualifying and practice went away, which I haven't missed. I've been I've been asking I've been asking for that for a long time. He needs laps. That's just how he's built. And so, yeah, no, I think it's um, I think not getting those laps in on Friday and Saturday, it, whether it's in a Xfinity car or a truck or whatever, uh, or practice laps in a Cup car, he just he's 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 a guy that needs reps. And so, yeah, uh, it's interesting. But yeah, I don't. I'm trying to think, that was a great point you made, by the way, about um, does the phone ring now? I mean, Ernie Irvin was just on uh, with Dale Jr. on the podcast, and it's something I've always been fascinated by, which is having friends right now is great in the garage, but, um, but, uh, who, they're going to call you when you're done. They probably aren't because as you guys know, once you are cut from the herd, the herd moves on and I'm yep. talking about the NASCAR garage. And so, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not sure that having friends, uh, matters so much at this point. I mean, I guess it might be lonely on a Saturday night in a motor coach, but, uh, <laughs> and maybe well, not on one day shows, interviews. one day shows, yeah, you're not really just, too lonely. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's just it. So no, it's 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 a it's a great question. The um, the social aspect of it has always fascinated me, and it's not so much right now, like you guys say, because you're really only in there one night. But the 
I always call it Bill France Senior High School because the I'm always fascinated by who you're friends with and who you aren't friends with. And, ju- and you guys probably know this, but that extended to the media center. You know, when I was on the road every weekend, you had certain groups that hung out together and certain groups that tried to be the mean girls or whatever. And it's, uh, but that, that part of it doesn't exist in any other sport except maybe golf because golf is the only other sport that packs up and goes somewhere every weekend. But that, that part of it fascinates me. Do you think, and, and along those lines, I see Charles Barkley come down hard on NBA players. And I yep. see other analysts come down hard on the sports that they're covering, but they don't travel with them like our our guys do. Do you think yep. that's why our reporters and our analysts are always so in the middle and so nice? Because it does drive me nuts sometimes Sometimes to see how nice our analysts are. Like, call a spade a spade, right? Do you think that's why? It's because we're all so close? Yeah, and I tell you what happens, too, is they get called out. Um, and I, you mentioned Benny Parsons. You know, when I was producing Benny, I used to get on him about that. He would come in to do RPM tonight on a Monday, and he'd sit in the newsroom and just rail on, you know, Pocono races are too long, but I, you couldn't ever get him to say it on television because he was dear, dear friends with the Mattioli family, and he had won at Pocono, and he'd been going there since it had opened in the 60s. So I get that. Yeah, you could be too close, but I've also been in the car with Daryl Waltrip and with Benny Parsons and, and with these guys, and part of it too is, you know, they get calls on Monday from the people that are their friends complaining. And, you know, you guys know you go to dinner on a Friday night and everybody's complaining about, I can't believe so-and-so said that to me. And everybody's so intertwined. It was, well, so-and-so said this because he drove this car or he has investments in this or whatever else. And so it's, it's so unique to, to NASCAR versus any other sport. It is a traveling click thing. You know, you get done at the track oh, on yeah. Friday after practice, you go to dinner with the same people most of the time. And, uh, you know, even us, like in your early days, I don't know if you, we've had roommates and stuff. I've had... I mean, me and Travis Mack, you know, crew chief here, not yep. room with each other for two, three years. Yep. Um, he, he see you in your underwear? Probably. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't ever want to see you in your underwear. I, uh, uh, that's, trust me. That's TMI. That's, well, I, yeah. I, and I'll say this. and I, I, I'm, you, you know, wear underwear? My dad. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> hey, as far as y'all know, I'm wearing, I'm wearing pants. I know. <laughs> I, I haven't worn pants on television since March. No, no, I, I, uh, but but my, my dad, all, all the years my dad was on the road as a college football referee, as an official, he was a university president. Like, he was an accomplished, and he had all these guys on his crew who were accomplished businessmen. And, you know, Pulitzer Prize nominees and FBI agents and software CEOs and all that and they all room together on the road. And so, yeah, it's – um, and, and the same thing happened. You had the guys that you hung out with and the guys that you didn't. And, uh, you know, but but NASCAR has always – the, the psychology part of it, the sociology part of it has always fascinated. Second topic. Kyle Busch says some of these kids don't know what the hell they're doing and don't know where they're at. Nothing like a Gase or a Smithley. Spot on. Schultz, spot you on. have to bleep Brett. yourself. About three times. He's so happy about okay. that, Ryan. So when Jason started our show, we we figured out yeah. quickly that he was a big Kyle Busch fan. So Huge. obviously, the second spot on topic here is a Kyle Busch topic. So don't be surprised if if there's multiple more Kyle Busch references coming by Jason. Yeah. In this well, show. He, hey, he ain't had anything to talk about all year, so we <laughs> finally got finally, we finally, finally, got finally found something. Yeah. Well, no, he's already went to Chase now, though. He dished Kyle, and now he's a Chase Elliott fan. Kyle was the only well, one that, that said anything I, interesting. I don't know. Kyle run pretty good the other night. He might be he swaying might be, back. Yeah. Swaying <laughs> back. Listen, I am yeah. spot on for Kyle Busch's comments because those lap cards look if you. 
you go out and run a 500-lap race and you intend to run the full race and you don't have to pull behind the wall because you have a problem and you're 20-plus laps down, you shouldn't be allowed to run the next time you come back to Bristol. Like, we have gotten out of hand with allowing these guys to be this far off the pace with a car that is that doesn't have any damage. I mean, we saw cars out there with no right front fender on it lapping these guys. I don't know how many times I drove by that number 15 car. It had to be 40 extra times. And, and so I'm spot off from the sense of we have to stop letting these, these teams – that aren't competitive get these charters and get their hands deeply entrenched into our sport because if this continues, we're going to look like the freaking Arca series. I, you know that's my biggest thing. I think at these these short tracks, half miles, you've got to adjust the minimum speed. You know what I mean? You can't. It's got to be a smaller percentage because, like you said, I mean, like I, the one thing I don't like about his comment here was he kind of lumped Garrett into it again just because of his history with Garrett. And I guarantee you, Kyle Busch probably couldn't have told you what car Garrett Smithy was in Saturday night. You know what I mean? Which I, you guys might not even know. I, I have no idea what car he yeah. was in. So well, he was in the well, seventy-eight. So he was the one that was on the bottom, out of the way great. all day. You know, he was uh, actually one of the better ones. He was, the be- he was probably the best one out there. So, but he gets lumped into this. Unfortunately, because of his history with Kyle, of you Vegas and me <laughs> last year, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, like they've got to do something. These guys are just way off the pace. You know, adjust the minimum speed, do something. That fifty-one was in the way all night long. Then you've got the fifty-three out there. He causes the caution that you know he kind of gets run over, comes down on the three car when the four's pitting, screws the whole race up for us. Helps a lot of other people out, but screws you know, us. Yeah, like in the middle Bad. of a pit cycle, you, the fifty three's wrecking. Like, how does that happen? He has no idea. You know, he's just at. you know, it's just stuff like that. These guys, yeah, you know what? Give them a chance to race. If they want to race, go out there and race. You know, some of them twenty seven cars, seventy seven. They were decent. Kyle didn't seem to mind when the when the seventy seven held the four up and he got around him for the lead. Yeah, I was going to bring he, that up. He too, left so. that part out, but uh, yeah, you know, but yeah, like they've they've got to do something to to get it more comparable. You know, mile and a halfs, whatever they can get out of the way. There's room. There's nowhere to hide at Bristol. You, there's there's nowhere to go. Yeah, I is was it gonna... new? I mean, is it is it like a, is it? You guys tell me is is it a is it a worse problem now than it was Brett ten years ago, fifteen years ago? I, I I mean, look, Ryan, when when I got here, man, we had sixty cars trying to make these cup races. And we had Daryl Waltrips of the world missing them. And, and, and when I look at it, man, like it, it was super competitive. And, you know, you still had a handful of guys that could go out and win. But I, I feel like the gap wasn't as big as it is right now right. because, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's a business to, to a lot of these teams. And it's a profit sure. center to a lot of these teams. And the way I look at it, when 60 cars were showing up, if you weren't fast, you didn't race. If you didn't qualify in on time – you didn't make it. I mean, Carl Long kicking DW out of a, of a Coke 600 was a big freaking deal, and he made it because he was fast enough. And then DW had to go back and buy that seat from Carl in order to run his last Coke 600. Like, so I, I, yeah. I definitely think it's gotten worse because the charter thing took us from really a, a, a free enterprise market to a, there's 36 guys locked in, and six plus of those guys aren't very fast. I think it's worse. I, I, the reason it's worse for me now is I mean, it might not be worse, but we don't know the names that are in there now. Before, back then, you knew who was in every single car, no matter what. Now we, I couldn't tell you who was in the fifty-three and who was in the fifty-one or whatever they were last week. And before you knew, and it was usually somebody that, had, that you could had, trust. Yeah. Well, it was somebody that had won a hundred late model races in Wisconsin or somewhere like that. You knew that guy. You knew his past, and he had a background in racing. Went up through the ranks. I can't tell you the a lot of these kids' paths to where they got to now. Like they ran, you know, they 
ran 35th in three Xfinity races. Now they're running the Cup race at Bristol. Yeah, I couldn't tell you and, that. And you so. see the guys. You see the guy. Like, if I know what car BJ McLeod is in on Sundays, I know that car is going to be out of the way because that's a guy that's like you said, won hundreds of super late model races. Yeah. He knows what's going on around him. You know, he got wrecked on Saturday, on Friday, unfortunately. Yeah. But you know, like he knows everything that's going on. James Davidson was in the fifty-three IndyCar guy. Let's just throw him as you know first. T- one of his first five starts, let's throw him to the Wolves at Bristol and let him get run over. Like, like I don't know. Obviously, we've talked about the approval process on here before, and and the full, fill the field, you've got to have guys out there like that because they're the ones paying for the rides. But, but Ryan, these cars are not fast. No, no they're not. It, it, and honestly, it reminds me of, you know, I, I covered in the early days of my career, I covered the IndyCar split when the IRL and CART went their separate ways. And both of them, even as much money as there was in, in Champ Car and CART with Penske and all those guys, but particularly in the IRL was back half of the field was just bad. The cars were bad. The drivers were the same thing. I didn't know Dr. Jack Miller, the racing dentist. I'm not over the hell he came from, <laughs> I, you know, and, and, and I knew he was in the way. And so that was, um, so that's what it reminds me of in a lot of ways. And guess what? That's a sport that, you know, that for years had franchising. So I, I get, I get, but I was just curious to know from the spotter standpoint, because I see it, but but sometimes I think, well, am I just not remembering correctly from 15 years ago? Our challenge is we will catch two slow cars at a place like Bristol, and one is running the top, and the other one right. is running the bottom, yeah. and we yeah. bottleneck on them. Like if they would just get in the non-preferred line, uh, wherever that is, and or if they would just get in line, it, it would help. I mean, you catch the the 53 and 27, and we're running third, and the 27 dive bombs of 53 getting in the three, and it's like. Dude, I'm clear by a straightaway behind me. Is nobody talking to you to tell you that? Do you not have a yeah. mirror to see that? It, it is an awareness issue, but I still go back to what I said to you. The cars are slow. Yeah. I, yeah. I like what Freddie says, though. You know, going back to the Kyle thing, Kyle got the lead because of the 12 and the 77 maybe getting jammed up and the four had to lift a little bit. You get the lead, which kind of makes the racing exciting. It's like a sprint car race. The leader takes off, and then they get to lap traffic, and then second place catches him, and then there might have been an opportunity. I don't, I don't mind it because that's you can't really get out of the way at Bristol. It's when you think you get out of the way, the field goes by. Guess what? Here they come again. Um, you know, Kyle was right on Kevin. You know, made the move to get around him. Great race. I mean, that's exciting. I'm guessing watching it on TV, that's probably exciting. Um, it was awesome. Sitting yeah. In well, I mean, it's just this part of it, you know. And then, you know, he gets the lead like that. Then they get to us, and he he. He can't get around us like Harvard just drives around the bottom, and then they go by us. There's 30 laps to go in the race still. There's 30 laps to go. It's not like there was it was the green-white checker and we just jammed the brakes in front of him and cost him the race. He had 30 laps if he was better to get around him. And, he, he, and I realize he's just frustrated too, which is most of this, because he's had a, a terrible year in Kyle Busch terms. You know, this would be a um, – I mean, he's won races this year in the in the trucks and stuff, hasn't he, in the beginning of the year? I think he won a couple truck races. Yeah, he's still a successful year for a lot of guys still, um, but not on Kyle Busch terms. So um, that's just, you know, Bristol, you really can't get out of the way. And instead of uh, most time we were battling, how many, like five, six years ago, we're battling cars that are missing the front ends off. You you know, because they're riding around there, you go to the garage, fix it, and you got modified looking cars out there. Now you just have cars that are completely, cap- like no damage or anything. Just, you know, it's just part of it, though. I don't think you'll ever be able to get rid of it. Next topic, we'll start with Ryan on this one. Ryan Blaney, William Byron, Cole Custer, and Matt DiBenedetto eliminated from the playoffs after the first round. Spot on, spot off. 
of I can't still can't believe Blaney's not still in it. I mean, you go back to like July, and he was in my top four. I mean, I, I felt like all right, here we go. You know, this is the year he's finally over the hump and he's a contender. And here we go. And they just they just lost a handle. And, and even talking to drivers as they were headed home uh, on Saturday night, they can't believe it either. You, when you think about where he was and where that team was at, at the start of the year, so I mean, it's still. I, I still, it's relatively early in his career. He's been around longer than maybe people realize, but he's still, I mean, by the numbers, he's still a young guy. And But I, I just was, uh, if you'd have come to me in June and said that after the first elimination he'd be gone, I'd have said you were nuts. I, I was trying to think, ever since we started this this playoff elimination thing, I was trying to think of what were the most shocking eliminations uh, after the first round versus what we thought we had in the middle of the summer and he's if he's not at the top of the list he's he's top three why do you think they what do you think happened the lack of practice uh yeah i don't know and you guys tell me when when it feels like and and the people i talk to say this but i'm curious to hear what y'all have to say is it's just more difficult to make it up when you lose the handle on it you know it's like my golf swing when i've got it it's great but if it goes away if I don't keep playing, I'm not going. It's not going to come back, which is a really nice way of saying my golf swing is never going to come back because I never get to play anymore. But, but, but without reps, without laps, you know, it's like a confidence thing, I guess. And uh, and when you lose it, I mean, it feels like you just don't. It, it's hard to make corrections when it's like real racing points on the line. You know, I, you know, going back to the to Kyle Busch's team, it's just. Uh, but you guys tell me that that's kind of my take based on what I see and who I'm talking to. Yeah, I mean, I think this, the theme of Blaney's season is missed opportunities. The beginning of the year, yep. he was probably the fastest car on the racetrack and never cashed yep. in on it, whether it be a pit road accident or uh, I think it was Vegas, a late caution, he pits, everybody else stays out, they lose the race. You know, so, I mean, if you capitalize on a couple of those opportunities, now you build a bank of stage points where you're not, you're not even in jeopardy of going out in the first round. Right. And, then you, and then we talked about this on the show last week about you know, mistakes in this round. The, the at Darlington, they somehow you know on pit road knock a valve stem out. He's got to come to pit road as we're coming to green. He loses a bunch of time there. We never see him again. Last week, he has to pit twice under the first caution for still don't know why, um, and we never see him again. And you know, just the I felt like and as a toll, the, the the Penske cars just missed it a little bit on Saturday, and he never really got the opportunity to race his way up there because that's a place that he normally runs good at. But you know, just like just his, I feel like the story of his season was just missed opportunities. Yeah, he definitely he definitely had a lot of had a lot of speed in the beginning of the year. He was leading every race. He led. Oh yeah, he was Dominating. legitimately leading every single race at some point, um, speed wise. Um, I, I think I really think the the lack of being in the garage, new crew chief and stuff. You know, you're buying into a new way. You're buying into a guy's new new um, vision. You're trying to, um, you know, Todd's trying to mold him. Um, you know, to develop him more, and you kind of lose the ability to do that when you don't have that FaceTime every, you know, two, three times a weekend in, in the hauler where you have that time. Yeah, you can, you have Zoom and all that, but it's not, it's not the same. Um, you know, it's hard, uh, you know, working with Todd before, I think, I think it was a great mix for Blaney, um, you know, just kind of teaching him, you know, developing him more, and I think that, I think that hurt it some too. It hurt our team, I think, for sure, because, Joey's really good, um, you know. He's really good with the guy. Really good with the, you know, just keeping team morale way up. He's really good. Um, 
he's a really good motivator for the whole team. And, uh, you know, not being able to get into the garage and do that stuff really hurts. Really, you know, it's hard to, you know, hard to do things like that. So I think um, that and the lack of practice, you know, learning each other, what did you do here? What did you do for that? And now we got to figure out during the race. So everybody's yeah, kind of. I go back to Kenseth. Kenseth never stood a chance. And I'm, I'm, I'm so glad he got an opportunity to get in that car and do whatever. But I remember talking to him uh, after Darlington, after the first race back, and he said, I, I didn't even know who McCrew guys were. You know, but because he, he walked out to the track. He did the first time he met his crew. Yeah. They all had masks on and he was like, How's it going? before he got in the car and hit the track at Darlington. And so yeah, this at the end of the day, you gotta have some one on one time. And so uh, you know, no matter what the weird situation was with that car, he never said a chance because you got you have to at least have to have the chance to talk to the guys. And yep. uh he was talking to him on the radio. That's all he had. I mean, look at Clint. You get Clint around his guys, man, they're they're gonna Clint's hilarious. You know, he, you know, he tension goes to him, you know, and um, you hang around Clint. You want to keep hanging around Clint because he's funny. You know, yeah. you want to yep. work with him. So. I, I'm, I'm spot on here for the word experience because all the veterans in this group of playoff drivers moved on. And a lot of yep. these guys that didn't move on don't have the experience in the playoffs that those guys have. But when I look at Cole Custer and Matt DiBenedetto, dude, they beat Jimmy Johnson. They beat yeah, Eric Jones and Joe Gibbs Racing Equipment. Just the fact that they made this playoff means they had a successful season. Obviously, Cole won a race at 21, man. I don't know what's going on with him. He's lacked speed for the last few weeks. I mean, the last seven races, that guy, he's tanked. And I don't know why, because we expected him to be good at Bristol, too. But nonetheless, he's had a good season. In my opinion, he deserves a renewal. And if he doesn't get a renewal, it's because Austin Sendrick is lighting the world on fire in the Xfinity Series. So, uh, I, again, hats off to all those guys for making the playoff. But I still think – the word experience comes to mind, and that's what moved uh, the next. The round of 12 is made up of a hell of a lot of veterans. Next one, five cautions, the least amount for a fall Bristol race since 1983. Freddie, spot on, spot off. I wish there was only four. One of them ruined my race. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, we talked about this last week. You know, like, I, I'm okay. I, I don't want to. Go down the road of complaining that there's not enough cautions, and then we get to the point where we're complaining that they're throwing too many cautions because they fabricated a debris caution or something like that. It is what it is. Some races we're not going to have cautions. Yeah, you know that's just the way it goes. But I mean, you see, we had a couple wrecks. Uh, Jimmy Johnson wrecked the 47 on the on the back stretch there to start it. Uh, I think the six spun one time uh, right before yeah. the stage. I think it was natural, real yeah, cautions. just caution flags. You know, it is what it is, and 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 maybe it goes back to these cars still being a little bit too easy to drive where these guys aren't. The package is not lending itself to these guys being on the edge as much as they need to be to, to, to crash these things. But I'm still of the opinion where let, let the strategies play out. And unfortunately, and it would have been really interesting, we were five laps away from seeing green flag pit stops at Bristol. When when was the last Shoot, time? The leader was pitting when that yeah, happened. That's what I'm saying. Like A bunch of us had pit. We had worn a, we had worn a left front tire out. We had a yeah, pit. We had a loose wheel. Yeah, so like a bunch of guys had to come there, and but we were – Literally, the, the leader was coming, and the, 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 the rest of the lap, lead lap cars were going to be coming the next four to five laps. So It was going to cycle. It was going to cycle through. It was going to be interesting to see how it played out. Unfortunately, we got that caution in the middle of it. But, yeah, I'm, I'm all for natural cautions. Don't, there's no reason. I don't, know what, I don't know what the solution, what the people want that are complaining about lack of cautions. Every time Ryan McGee saw three wide on, on television at Bristol, that was an opportunity for a caution. And, and we didn't get them because guys were making moves and making passes. And, man, we're it, we were going so fast through the center of the corner the other night, it was blowing my mind. I mean, it, it, it was a heck of a race to only have five cautions at a half-mile racetrack speaks 
volumes to how talented these guys are. Because and not to mention we were missing all the moving chicanes. <laughs> Yeah, with, weren't, with you just saying, weren't you just saying how untalented these guys well, were in the back? <laughs> they were moving chicane, which tells you how talented the other guys are not to freaking hit them every other lap. But uh, the last caution, fi- I finally, first time all year after 28 races or whatever it's been, I finally caught a caution that helped my race. I thought you were going to knock the fence down when the 24 caution came out. Oh, I was pissed <laughs> because I didn't know he was out of the race. So the 24 runs into whoever he runs into on the backstretch. And, look, that was caused by a slow car, too. Slow car was in the I way up against the fence, and, and they all check up, and William goes in and KOs the car in front of him. But I thought William would continue, and that caution was going to save him from going multiple laps down. That's why I lost my mind, Freddie. Sorry about that. Did I shook see the fence, Brian. I got Did mad. you see the wreck? <laughs> yeah. What happened? Like the, I didn't see it. The, so the the slow car was in the way essentially, and up against and the wall. The first car ran all over him. 95. Had to check up. The ninety five ran all over him and, and checked up hard, and the twenty four just KO'd the ninety five. I thought the Ultimate Warrior slid in between me and Brett next to me because the uh, the fence started shaking. I was a guy going nuts next to me. I didn't know what the hell was going on. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you just grabbed the oh, rail. That's exactly you just grabbed the rail. Like. Start doing that. <laughs> It's hard to beat natural natural car. I'm okay with the competition cautions in the beginning to give people a chance. Okay, you started off your way off. This is your one opportunity to pretty much try to stand in the lead lap and adjust your car for the rest of the race. Um, but after that, I, you know, we got caught by it, but still, it was a real. There was a wreck. I mean, what can you do? So it's part of it. You can't be mad at that rather than a, oh piece of debris. There's something shiny on the bottom. You know, don't put it out. I mean, well, let's talk about cautions for a minute. We're talking about cautions, obviously. The Xfinity Series, the Truck Series, they throw these competition cautions, and nobody pits. Did they not? Does NASCAR not have the ability to realize nobody is going to pit before they even throw that caution? It is a it is a wasted caution. Yeah, but I think you got to give people opportunities with no practice. You, know, you look at like the Martinsville race, how bad the Gibbs guys were to start that race off. They, they, we, you know, we've heard different stories about they, you know, they got the wrong tire data before the race. Yeah. So I think you got to give somebody like that Take an opportunity. My word. Like if you miss it. If you miss yeah, data. Uh, if you miss it that bad, you've got to give you know without the lack of practice, give them an opportunity to get a fix before they end up losing three laps just because we didn't have practice that week. So, but I agree with you. Like it almost should be a mandatory pit stop. Like all right, everybody's coming, everybody's putting tires on here, everybody's got to go, and we'll do the you know everybody's on the same page. We, it just it, it shouldn't I mean, be it shouldn't be an opportunity to gain an advantage. Yeah, on I mean I, I get it doing the truck races. Like I get it. Like, but there's a handful I can promise you from about tenth, twelfth on back. That's not they're, – they're, they can't wait for that competition caution. Like, you, you can't wait because you got to work on something because you're not that good. Obviously, the guys up front don't want it, but um, especially in the truck and Xfinity series, you, some of the guys in the back, I mean, almost the back half of the field always pits, and that gives them an opportunity also to, okay, well, I'm going to pit at lap 30, get some tires, maybe get back up through and inside the top 10 before the end of the stage. That gives them an opportunity to kind of swap their track position a little bit. But I think with no practice and stuff, you almost have to do that early – you almost have to do that early deal just to kind of give everyone a chance in case you're way off somehow. I mean, Ryan, did, watching the race at home was it was it any less interesting because we had less cautions? No, I gotta go to the bathroom, so I'm glad. I, I like those. Uh, <laughs> I like those contest cautions because I'm, I'm getting old, man. I gotta go to the bathroom all the time. It was, it was right? Yeah. So, so I don't want to. I don't want to get up and miss anything. No, it. it the competition cautions don't bother me. I, I, I get it, and, and I'm not a crew chief. Never been. Never been a race car driver. Thank heavens. Uh, never been on a pit crew. But but I my feeling is is that yeah, you give them the opportunity. But maybe you learn. Maybe you, you go to everyone and say, "Are we wasting our time here?" And um, I think even though even when no one pits, I think they'll probably tell you, "No, nah, you know what? 
I'll, I'll take whatever I can get because you're right. There's always going to be somebody that probably needs it. But yeah, for me, yeah. it just gives me a chance to go check the grill. So <laughs> I'm all for it. Hi, we're OfferPad, the new way homes are sold. Go to OfferPad.com, tell us about your home, and we'll send you a great purchase offer. Or if that's not your style, we can also list your home with tons of free OfferPad services, free handyman fixes, house cleaning, yard work, and more to get your home show ready. We can even advance renovation costs to maximize your home's value. Whatever way you want to sell, you're sold with OfferPad. Sell your way today at OfferPad.com. Next topic, Daniel Suarez announced he's leaving the 96 team. Jim Utter reports that Gaunt Brothers is the front runner to land Bubba Wallace. Why Brett, doesn't Freddie go first spot on, on this one? Spot on. <laughs> Who's first, Jason? I think Brett should go first. Um, I don't think there's a chance. I don't even think there's a one in a million chance that Bubba Wallace is going to <laughs> you don't think so. to drive this car. And 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 people can can say, well, why is that the case? Well, obviously it's it's a Toyota, but it didn't make the Daytona 500, which means it doesn't have a charter. And Bubba Wallace, it, Bubba Wallace is not going to take <laughs> oh, a, a multi-million dollar sponsorship to a team that won't be locked into the Daytona 500. And the funny part about this, Ryan, is I think we were one of the first. Freddie actually mentioned the word Michael Jordan on this show. I don't know what you're talking about. I did not. You were the one that said Michael Jordan, but we were referring to somebody else. Oh, Freddie going to I carpet lane again. Anyway. Regardless, regardless. Freddie, can you stop by when you talk to you? Somebody <laughs> on this show said the word Michael Jordan a few weeks back. Um, and and then <laughs> and and then here we are. Um, you know, Bubba's on our podcast last week. Dude, you're following some big names. Blake Shelton two weeks ago, Bubba Wallace last week, now Ryan McGee. You actually have upstaged yeah. all those guys. But last week I asked Bubba point blank on this show, and I was joking when I said it. I, I promise I was joking. I said, have you talked to Michael Jordan? Kidding, but not kidding. And he said no. <laughs> so now that's the second time on this show we've said Michael Jordan. For the third time on this show, I'm going to say Michael Jordan. <laughs> Do you think he's coming to NASCAR, Ryan McGee? Uh, I don't. Um, I, I mean, he could. I mean, he, he's a motorsports fan. I mean, you guys know this. He was invested in motorcycle racing for a long time. Um, he looked at getting into sports car racing. So, I mean, it's not 100% out of their own possibility. But uh, but if y'all want to just keep bringing his name up just to get his name on the show, that'd be great. I, think, he, uh, <laughs> I think that Bubba drives a car next year with the number three on it, right? But I think – the other number is not the number one because there's a lot of rumors they're buying a 13 charter, which would make sense, right? Jermaine has, yep. has said they don't have a sponsor. They're they're not you know going to re up Ty Dillon. Uh, Freddie, do you think? What, what do you think, Freddie? You know more than all of us. I don't know anything. I'm sorry. I've just been over here counting my uh, car payments. Um, <laughs> so. Freddie bought a new truck, right? He's yeah. 38 years old and he bought his first new vehicle this week. You yep. pretty Congratulations, much have, uh, sir. Yeah. That's I'll a big deal. The first one, so you have seventy-two left, ready. <laughs> That's a big deal. So, uh, you know, obviously, I can't delve into a whole lot of Bubba stuff, but I do know some things are in the works, obviously. And I think you know, you, everybody sees the rumors Captain out there. Obvious over here. Everybody <laughs> sees the rumors out there with you know with with Danny maybe trying to get into the ownership side of it, and maybe linking Bubba to Toyota with that, which would be awesome for Bubba. Um, but yeah, this 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 Gaunt Brothers deal. I'm not. I don't really know. Utter, you know. Is that why you got that new Toyota out there? <laughs> I got a, yeah, I got a Chevy and a Toyota. It's amazing. There's, there's 23 reasons why I know you're lying to me right now. <laughs> well, you know, 
It is what it is. Look, like, he, he looks so uncomfortable <laughs> right now. Well, I mean, it's hard to get Freddie uncomfortable. Look at him. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, hey, hey, hang on. Let me get my recorder going. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I might have someone. I, I just, I, I call my uh, call and hey, I got some inside information on Bubba Wallace. Speak into the microphone clearly, please. Um, you know, I don't. I just, I, I had a laugh when I seen this article out from Utter. It's like, yeah, we're gonna take. Bubba's going to take multi, multi, multi-million dollar sponsors to a uh, non-charter team that struggles to run 25th every week. That's, I think uh, that's a solid business plan. The biggest thing that I think that Bubba said was that he is betting on himself now, and he's not going to. He, you're not. He's going to better himself. He's putting himself in a better situation. You're, there's zero chance Bubba leaves the 43 and goes to a worse situation. Like there's no chance. So. And the way he was, he was very passionate about it too. Like if I'm, if I can't do it in this, I shouldn't be driving race cars. Yeah. So, you know, Bub, Bubba's like he said on the show here. He's, he's, he's going to get everything in a row to make this his best opportunity. And if he, and he believes in himself that if he has the right equipment, he's going to run up front. And you know, I, another thing, you know, if you talk about if he possibly gets in something with Denny Hamlin and, and a car that with Denny Hamlin, you know, a new team, there, there's no comparisons to be made. You know, if you get in the 42, you're instantly compared to what Kyle Larson did. If you get in the 48, you're instantly compared to damn Jimmy Johnson. Who the hell wants that? You know, you never want to be the guy that follows the guy. And my, we talked about that as spotters. Look at, look at William Byron. Yeah, I mean, you don't, you know, so, you know, there, everything has benefits to if you get in a new car, there's no history. You can get out there and write your own history in that thing. So I think that would play a factor in the Bubba's thought process also. But, you know, I, you know I'm sure, I think... Tell Probably you that. sooner or later, you'll, pretty much closer to sooner, you'll you'll hear about what Bubba's doing, and it's and it's exciting stuff for him. But is it going to be Wednesday when we hear? Uh, I don't know. I think it might be this week. I think it's possible. Do but we need to have a. Uh, wait, where's Freddie go? Where are you going, Freddie? Why don't you uh, tell us? That, Ryan, Ryan's got his recorder out again. <laughs> that, that I don't know. Freddie, where are you going to work? This will be it right here. Hang on. Um, <laughs> everybody seems to think I've got a deal in place because I bought a new truck, and Megan wants to murder me because I don't, and I bought a new truck. She so so. wants to murder you because it doesn't have a big enough back seat. Oh, it's got a pretty big back seat. <laughs> It's got a whole, it's got a whole yeah, truck you, bed. Yeah, you know it's silly season when we're basing potential moves on I heard so-and-so bought a new truck. Oh, I got uh, – <laughs> last week, some guy – I had to call Bob and tell him this, but Pacris, you know, Pacris has been covering it, obviously, and there was somebody on Twitter who's like, look, Bob, you're wrong. Freddie bought a Chevy, and Bubba did a Chevy commercial tomorrow so, today, so he's not going <laughs> to Toyota, obviously. And I'm like, yeah, that's – that's how it works. The spotter's really in tone with the, with the manufacturing yeah. deal. And, when, and what you what you don't know is that Bob not only knows what you bought, he has a copy <laughs> of the, the purchase agreement, and he has already contacted your bank. He, he knows your what your credit number. rating is. Yeah. I thought that was yeah. him in the background when I was talking to the salesman. Bob has your birth yeah. certificate. Again. Yeah. Like yeah. He's, anyone, he's... anyone who says Bob Parker's, you're wrong. Uh, is wrong. Drunk. They are wrong. Already yeah, drunk. And they're wrong. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> I, I saw a lot of hate last week on social media uh, compared to the other shows that we do. Usually the hate comes at me, McGee, but last week it came a lot at Bubba, and I saw people saying that Bubba's doing the 43 a favor by leaving. I don't know that the 43 has been this relevant since Bobby Hamilton drove it. Like, What what do you think Bubba Wallace did for the 43 car? Or am I wrong? No, you're not wrong at all. I mean, all all, all he did was almost win the Daytona 500. Uh, All he did was – you know, he, he posted more top tens than that car has seen in forever. Uh, that 43 car was on everything all the time. Um, you know, in my opinion, uh, I, I think as a fact, he changed a lot of people's opinion of Richard Petty uh, because of the way that the King rallied to his side. 
and um, and brought to light some of the things that Richard Petty did for Wendell Scott a really long time ago. And, and so I think that um, it's just he listen, he knows what he's into here. Um, he and I, I did, we did a huge story about Bubba and it's one of my, to your question, one of my favorite stories I've ever done was a story we did about Bubba leading into his first Daytona 500. We went back to Wendell Scott's family and we did all of that. And Bubba sat right there and told me, I know exactly what I'm getting into here. And he said, and I was not in a position or mature enough to handle what I know is coming, what I know is inevitable. This was five or six years ago now. And I think he's, he's far, he's matured, uh, on his own, but also been forced into maturity over what's happened and what he's done over the last two years. And so, yeah, he knows what he's dealing with. And I'm always impressed at how he handles it. But he has become the guy that you can't say anything about without hearing immediately from a couple hundred idiots. And that's who they are. And anyone who tries to discount what he's done, because the 43 car, you guys know me. Listen, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting right here at my desk. I mean, I got nothing. I got nothing but Richard Petty stuff all over this office. So I love the King, but that, that team has challenges. And, and you guys know that better than anyone. And the, what he's done is remarkable. And you're right. He's made that car relevant again. And, and I think has done things that will, will keep that team around, you know, for the foreseeable future in a lot of ways, because he of got the in that car when, when a lot of guys didn't want to drive it. And now didn't I know want to drive it. And now no, I know a lot of guys that do. Yeah. And that was the, the reputation of that car going all the way back to Bobby Labonte. The reputation of that car has not been great. It's it's great. It's legendary. It's historic. It's all over the NASCAR Hall of Fame. But it's like, yeah, but that was, you know, a million years ago. But, yeah, what he's done is remarkable. When anyone tries to discount that, I, I got no time for him. It's not a gimmick. Um, you know, he, he, he earned his way to where he is. No one's handed him anything. If anything, it's been the complete opposite. You know, when you talk to him until the last six months, when you talk to him before, couldn't find sponsorship and couldn't get CEOs to jump on board. Part of the reason he couldn't stay anywhere for any lengthy period of time was because of that. So everything that everyone says gives him an advantage has actually, if you ask him, um, I don't think it's helped a lot. And and now uh, those things are coming together. It, but listen, anybody that discounts anything he's doing, they just have already decided how they're going to feel about it. And, and chances are, um, you know, we're not going to change their mind. And I have no interest in changing their mind because I don't want to talk to them. All right, last topic here, spot on, spot off. Ross Chastain to drive the 42 car full-time in the Cup Series next year. Ryan, spot on, spot off. Yeah, I mean, it, honestly, 42 car was one of the ones that a lot of people were uh, – and I really enjoy what you guys have done with the podcast, talking to athletes from other sports. And when I've talked to athletes from other sports or a sports center anchor or an NFL reporter and suddenly they're paying attention to all the silly season because of Bubba Wallace – there were a lot of people that were hoping just from the outside, not in, not within the NASCAR community. There were a lot of people on the outside hoping he's going to get in that 42 car for no reason other than the reason that it was open. But yeah, Ross Chastain, uh, congratulations, sir. You know, this, this Ross deal, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on both sides of it. You know what I mean? I know, I know Brett's going to, you know, Brett's kind of close to this deal with Ross because he's been helping him the last couple of years. But, you know, this is this is we talked about Bubba last week betting on himself and, and now Ross is betting on himself. But the problem with betting on yourself is you better cash in because if you don't, it, this could be your last opportunity. If you get in that car and run like Matt Kenseth does this next year, you're you're out. And, and this that 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 might be your last shot at a good top level cup ride. So, you know. 
I don't know that the, when you have a sponsor that's backing you and in the Xfinity series, and this sport is so based on money and everything drive driven by money, who's got money to bring where to walk away from a potential sponsor. You know, I don't, I don't know that I agree with it, but you know, like you said, if you're going to bet on yourself, maybe he sees this is the only opportunity he can get in a good cup car. Maybe that's the, the risk he's willing to take. It's just, you know, I, the, as competitive as he is in Xfinity, you know, to the opportunity to maybe come back and do that again and compete for a championship over getting in a car that's kind of underperforming right now. I don't know. I don't know where you weigh that out at. Uh, man, I, I wish it would have, uh, I don't know why it wouldn't have happened earlier this year. Maybe because he can't, I mean, at least part time, um, because of you know he's been linked to Ganassi in that 42 car for a while now. He's been linked to that car. Then you go and pull Matt in, which is a great, great. You know, Matt's a solid sub. He's a, an, an accomplished driver. Um, but Ross, that Ross was you know already linked, already embedded in the in the Ganassi stuff. So really, um, I don't know. I I would have. I, th- I think I think that we talked about it on here. Why did it take so long for yeah. this? To- but we talked about it on here. Ganassi over what they went through with their sponsors needed a name. They needed a name. They needed a face. So you go out and you get Matt Kenseth, champion driver, big name in our sport, and that'll sure up your sponsorship. Whatever you have for you know the re- through at least the rest of this year. You know I don't know that Ross moves the needle that much for somebody. Yeah. You know, a sponsor. Uh, no, like that. probably not. But you know if it's not your long term plan, how do you not? If try- Ross gets in that car and runs the way that Matt just ran, there's a chance that charter is for sale, right? So so obviously Ganassi is banking on a young, hungry kid coming in and being better behind the wheel than an established veteran, right? Uh, I, I think the missing story here is 18 months ago, Chip Ganassi Racing shut down a team that Ross Chastain was scheduled to drive full-time for, and Ross Chastain was unemployed. And – my good friend Elliot Sadler and my other good friend Chris Rice picked Ross Chastain up and put him on their shoulders, and they gave him five competitive races to go run, one of which he won at Daytona. And I think that scenario with Nutrinac Solutions set him up for this year where he's run full-time, he's been competitive, he's been a media hog on TV, he's got five second-place finishes, and he's turned a lot of heads. Now the same guys that put him on the street are putting it back in their car. So, to me, the big spot on here is college racing and what they're doing to create opportunities for kids like this and guys like this. Because without them and without those fast cars, if Ross is still – and I told him this yesterday. If he's still running sim racing for Ganassi and he's still driving for Johnny Davis Motorsports on Saturday, nobody wants him full-time in a cup car. So, to me, a uh, big spot on to Chris Rice – uh, and college racing, Matt Colleague, and what they've done to support this guy. You talk about college racing. There's potential that they are going to move both of their drivers to the Cup Series. You know, you hear Justin Haley to that Spire car rumor. Um, you know, I don't know where if he's going to stay or go, but you hear that rumor. But you don't hear these rumors if these guys are underperforming in this stuff. So just as, as competitive as they've been, Justin Haley's impressed me a lot this year. The leap he's made from last year to this year. He's a consistent top five car now. Um, and, and Ross, you know, Ross has definitely gotten better. Yeah, Ross week in and week out is competing for wins. But, you know, I just, you know, I think, honestly, you know, if you look at the pool of drivers, Ross is probably the most talented one. I would probably, in my mind, I would put, I would put Corey LaJoy up there talent-wise, but Corey's unproven. Ross has got Xfinity wins. You know, he's got truck wins. Um, so, you know, Ross obviously would be ahead of him on that list if you're talking about the, the pool of drivers. And, and so 
Ganassi's going to go out and try to get the best guy, and it's just up to Ross whether he's going to make that decision where if he wants to stay and compete for a championship. Or And we talked about it on here. You know, Matt Kenseth, he, he's not on TV. We haven't seen him all year. You know, he's running 15th to 20th every week, and Ross is on TV every week competing for wins. Now, where's the value in that for you? You know what I mean? Like, where, where how are you going to weigh this out to where do I want to be – the big fish in a small pond, or I want to be another guy in the Cup Series. Like I, I just, I don't know. It's it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But it's you know, it's just uh, it's an interesting decision. Well, Chip Ganassi, hey, Chip Ganassi loves nothing more than being able to tell everybody I was right. <laughs> He's always been that guy. I think about even covering him in open wheel racing all those years. No one had ever heard Alex Zanardi, right? Jimmy Vassar was nothing. Um, you know, Juan Pablo Montoya was whatever. He he was a, a F1 burnout, not going to make it, you know, to the top level. And Chip loves to be right about things. And so, yeah, if he has the opportunity to be able to go back and say, I told y'all two years ago, he was the guy, uh, it just didn't work out. Then, uh, then he's going to do it. But, I, but Chip also is very impatient. So, uh, uh, you're, I can't remember who said it among you guys, but Ross probably got a year to, uh, to yeah, show to what he that. can or can't do. Here, here, here's here. the question hanging over you know my head given what you just said it's the last year of a car the the car that we're going to run next year is expiring and and you have to you have to focus on the next car next year so the resources that are going to be required to come in to be competitive in an expiring car i don't know what they are i'm not on that that side of the world but i would have to imagine that the teams the super teams if we want to call them that they're going to bring all their their players to the field, and they're going to try to kick your tail and kick you out of here. And I think that's going to be a challenge for a lot of teams. And and I don't just mean Chip Ganassi Racing. I mean the Richard Childresses of the world and all these other guys that are running, you know, 15th on back. I mean, dude, it's going to be a challenging year for them, right? So, to, and, and for Chip, obviously he's taking on a fourth IndyCar team with Jimmy Johnson. There's a lot going on for a lot of teams, and, and I think that's going to – I think the achievement gap – I talk about that all the time with kids, right? Uh, I think the achievement gap for next year, McGee, gets a lot wider than it's been. Yeah, no, I agree with that 100%. And, and it's um, transition years. Man, and we used to feel like we were in one of these about every other year with the cars, you know in the previous decade, but yeah, the transition years are always big. And, um, but like I say, patience has never been a hallmark of Chip Ganassi's career. And so, uh, new car or not, um, Ross Chastain, you better get up on it, son. He will get up on the wheel. We do know that about him. There's no question about it. All right, it's time to hit the gas and take our Xfinity speed from the track to the studio. Let's jump into our weekly Xfinity Fastlane segment where we'll ask the guys six questions and time each person to see who can answer the fastest and how many they can get right. Freddie, as the champion of Xfinity Fastlane, you're up first. Go ahead. I'm ready. First question, how many stage points has Bubba Wall scored in 2020? You finally got a hard question. Congratulations. Uh, six. <laughs> Which Chevy finished highest on Saturday? Chase Elliott. How many career Xfinity Series wins does Chase Briscoe now have? Ten. Eight. Who asked, do you like green eggs and ham? Who? Dr. Seuss. Who is the oldest Kardashian sister? Courtney. Uh, How many years did Prohibition last in the U.S.? 
Uh, eight? Is it ten? It's 13 years for prohibition. Uh, what a bunch of idiots. Why would you prohibit the booze? Bubba scored um, 17 stage points so far in 2020. Damn, Freddie. was wow. the highest stage. So you're not as bad year. as you thought. Briscoe has nine <laughs> wins, and Sam I Am said, do you like green, Sam three names in that? DJ scored more than one race. Well, Dr. Seuss technically <laughs> said it, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Through somebody else. In the, oh, yeah, he was the author. He was the author. <laughs> See, he didn't say it. He said it. <laughs> <laughs> through, through Sam, I am. It's like technicality. Dr. Seuss said it. <laughs> you can protest. You can file a formal complaint. I will file a like. formal complaint. He actually it. does say right after I do so like green eggs and ham, Sam, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he kind of says that right afterwards. Uh, it's been a while since I read all green eggs and ham. All right, Brett, you're up next. Oh, great. All right, Brett, first question. Who finished directly behind Clint Boyer on Saturday? 21 car. Who scored their first top 10 finish of the season on Saturday. Daniel Hammer. It's not even the cup race. <laughs> How many cautions did the Xfinity Series race have? Two. What does the acronym Wait IK- a minute, now is a caution a stage break or is that different? Every total cautions. Well you didn't say that. You said cautions. Cautions. Go ahead. Sorry. What does the acronym IKR stand for? I know, right? Who is Lightning McQueen's love interest in the film Cars? I have no idea. While in play, how many players are on a water polo team? Seven. What? That was such a swing in the dark. I played water polo. Who are you talking about? In what? My little kiddie pool. I'm just surprised. The, I'm on. just surprised the horses don't drown. I have my, my swimmies on. Jesus. What a lucky... You want to play later? Yeah. Come on in. The water feels mm, nice. Is it warm? <laughs> so Ish. Chase Elliott finished behind Clint on Saturday. Ryan Priest scored his first top 10 finish. The Xfinity Series race had seven top or seven cautions, and Sally is Lightning McQueen's love interest in cars. Oh, that girl. Jason knew all of these without looking them up. Yep. Cars, I'm a big cars guy. All right, TJ, you're next. Yeah. You ready? Good luck. Yeah. How many playoff points does Joey Logano have starting the next round? Time's up. <laughs> 36. How many laps out of 500 did Quinn Hoff complete on Saturday? I almost spit my water out. <laughs> 452. Who led the most laps in Friday's Xfinity Series race? Ross Chastain. What does the W in SWAT stand for? No idea. Who sang the song Poker Face? My, my, Lady my, Gaga. My, my, my poker face. How many keys are there on a piano? I don't know, 110. Damn, dog, that's a lot of keys. Shoot, congratulations, Brett. You are the victor hey, this week. Congratulations. Logano has 22 stage, I mean, playoff points entering the next Shit. round. Quinn Hoff completed 483 Is of 500 Huff? laps. Jason, are you saying that right? I don't know. Is it Huff? I think it's Huff. 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 <laughs> It's oh. Huff the Magic Driver, remember? Huff the Magic, Huff the magic Driver. <laughs> Justin Allgaier led the most laps in the oh, Xfinity Series race. I should have guessed that. Um, SWAT, the W stands for weapons, and there's 88 keys on piano. Yeah, that's close. You weren't close. I mean, how many would you guess? 88. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You idiot. Did you learn that an your, idiot. Did you learn that on your water polo team? <laughs> yeah. We played it underwater. <laughs> We're always thinking fast on Door Bumper Clear, and so was runner-up KFB. 
Kyle Busch, because he had this week's Xfinity fastest lap at Bristol. You know something else that's fast? Xfinity X5. It is, and it's more than speed too, TJ. It's reliable, secure, safe, and you're connected throughout your entire home. Speaking of Xfinity, follow at Xfinity Racing on Twitter and stay connected with exclusive behind-the-scenes NASCAR content. Shout out to Xfinity, premier partner of NASCAR and our podcast. Ask DBC. Send in your questions 24-7 on Twitter using the hashtag AskDBC. AskDBC. And we did have a lot of better and more questions this week, so I appreciate everyone sending their questions in. That's because TJ sent out that tweet in 2016 asking for him, so we finally finally got him. (laughs) Thank you so much, TJ. Most of the questions – never mind. I'm not going to bring it back up. (laughs) All right. First question from – I love this part. West 22 underscore four. Did the decision not to reapply the traction compound at Bristol help to produce the ability to move around more than in years past? Man, I, I like the surface, to be honest with you. I felt like uh, a typical Clint, right? He picks the top on a restart at his own discretion. He gets to pick the top, McGee, and the next words out of his mouth is, Give me down as soon as you can. I'm like, well, You just took right. the top. How, do you, how, what, how am I supposed <laughs> to fix this problem you just created? I, I really felt like uh, it. it it, the bottom was the place to be, and then after you ran 20-plus laps, the top came in. It's a wonderful racetrack. This is the best racetrack that we have on the circuit in terms of creating the ability to run anywhere we want to run on such a really small surface, a half-mile racetrack. I wish the tire uh, would still fall off a little bit more. I mean, we're out there running 150-plus laps before we really see a guy get in tire trouble. Uh, but outside of that, man, big, big, big fan of the surface. I thought it was really good. I think um, you can watch Bristol. I can watch all these guys that are great short trip drivers. They still miss the bottom. And when they miss the bottom, that guy behind them gets right up to them. And that's, that's you know, just waiting for something to happen. Some of the guys roll up there and don't well, don't wait, you know, give them a little bump, move the guy up the racetrack. And if you get up the racetrack, you know, two feet, you're, you're, you're way slower. And the guy's all over you and trying to pass you. So I think the service was great. Yeah, I y'all mean, hadn't heard they ruined Bristol. Y'all hadn't heard <laughs> they ruined it. Ruined it. They, ru- they ruined it twenty years ago. They ruined it when they took the asphalt away, and then they ruined it when they when they regraded it, and then they ruined it when they yeah. It's they, <laughs> I, I was there at the World of Outlaws race. That was in the late nineties, and it covered a whole track yeah. of dirt, and it ran a World of Outlaws. And even then, this old boy stopped me as I was leaving the track. I was like, "This is the greatest. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen." And Sammy Swindell won, and the whole thing. I remember leaving the track. And this old boy was standing there. He goes, they ruined the track. They ruined the track, Ryan. When they come back to run these stock cars, they'll never be the same again. I'm like, all right. I'm like, you're probably one of these guys that thinks that when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon, it ruined the tides. I got I got nothing for that. It's Bristol, man. It's just, it's, I, mean, <laughs> I love it. It's a high bang short track, man. Like we talked about, yeah. you know, you guys said it. It was it was bottom dominant to start, you know, first, first part of a run. You got to get to the bottom. Then it quickly moved up to where some you could see, like the 18, I feel like, it was one of the first ones to make the top really come oh, in. Oh, way up there he in the took, beginning. He took yeah. off, and he started hauling ass. And then everybody started following him. And then it was like late in that run when we were getting towards the end of that long tire run, it seemed like the bottom came back in. I know you guys, Clint, was was rolling the bottom really well. He got drove up into the top five. Uh, Priest is another one that, that I thought, thought, thought was doing a really good job. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm all for not altering the track surface, and and the truck race was great, and they didn't even spray it for the truck race. That was left over from the All Star, and it was super racy. The bottom was still good, so I'm all about just leaving the surface alone. But Ryan brought up a good point about putting dirt on Bristol. I seen a little little Adam Stern tweet this week that suggests maybe we're going to do it again for a Cup race. Hmm. I mean, 
That would be a little. I don't wild. know about that. Yeah, I don't <laughs> that know about that. would be. That would not be exciting. I don't see the couple flying for they, that. They were even. They were. They were having a problem though. Like that night, they were having a problem with. They kept having to go out and patch some spots occasionally because. Uh, yeah. Because this World of Outlaws cars were digging up. You can only put so much there. I remember, what I remember is I remember Bruton Smith got in trouble and could have cared less, but he got in trouble because I think what they did to clean the track was they rerouted like the river. Into the track and washed it out. It just drained it out that way. So yeah, it's a yeah. yeah that was a uh, that was an interesting night. But yeah, I, 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 listen, I I'd love to see the Cup cars on dirt, maybe, maybe, but uh, I don't want to see the Bristol. No, I, I, if you're gonna run a dirt race with the Cup cars, I, listen, I'm all for trying stuff. We need to go to a place that's a dirt track. You know, go to Knoxville, yeah. go to somewhere an established dirt track. We don't need to be trying to convert one of our tracks into a dirt track. I don't even know. The one, hey, the one, the one time I covered good. the Arca Bondo Marhide series <laughs> on a dirt track was it like the is it the Springfield Mile? Yeah. yeah, I still can't believe what the yeah. hell I was looking at. I was like, and you know, big surprise, Frank Kimmel. I was gonna say who won, Tim Steele or Frank yeah. Kimmel? <laughs> yeah, Frank. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think if you're went. gonna run a dirt track, I think the only the only place that's gonna uh, it's got to be Eldora, man. It's got the banking. You can. I feel like a a, a place like Knoxville. They're going to form. We're going to lay rubber down. They're going to run around the bottom, and you're not going to. At Eldora, man. They. Well, slide I think Eldora job. agreed with you. I think Eldora wanted one of the bigger series, and I think that that's created a problem for. Eldora. I just think. I think if you're going to do it, that's the racetrack. I agree with you, hundred percent. They're in a they're in a cooler dirt track, other than Lancaster, South Carolina. On the planet. Oh, there you go it. now. There you go. We'll take we'll take him down to Lancaster. The hey, forget Bristol. That's the world's real fastest half mile down there in Lancaster. Yeah, I, man. I've seen I've seen uh I've seen some boys get cut in the parking lot down there, but it was worth it. <laughs> they were probably related to me, Brian. Good chance. They were probably yeah, they were related to each other. Yeah, I, I, so I, like, I was like, I'm pretty sure that was a McGee and a, and a Griffin, but I'm not sure. <laughs> Bro, no, one of them was wearing a Clemson shirt, and uh... hey, he, he deserved <laughs> to be cut. <laughs> they were fighting over the watermelon queen. That's what I heard. Yeah. McGee and I's teams are uh, we're rivaling up this week. It's it's Tennessee yeah. versus South Carolina. There's got to be some kind of bet. I yeah, mean, who's winning? You're favored by uh, three, right? Yeah. The um, uh, my favorite South Carolina Tennessee weekend was actually a Tennessee loss, and it was Halloween Day. Um, I was on the film crew at Tennessee. I was a student then, and it was the day that they shot the, the movie The Program. Because if you wow. watch in the background of that movie, the program, all these plays happen, and half the people in the stands are wearing orange, which doesn't match any of the teams on the field. But uh, that was that was that was the most best most fun I had in a loss in typical Columbia. It was uh, October thirty first, and I was wearing like a flannel shirt, and it was like one hundred and fifty degrees down. That's just <laughs> what I feared as a South Carolina fan about Tennessee was when Peyton Manning retired, he would come back and be an offensive coordinator or head coach for Tennessee. <laughs> and I was like, well, we'll never – we have a hard enough time beating ourselves, much less beating Tennessee, right? I'm like, we'll never beat them again if that happens. So I'm glad you wouldn't let Peyton come back. No, we've all tried to bring him back, and uh, <laughs> we've all personally asked him to come back, and uh, maybe one day. But uh, but right now he's making too much money doing all his other stuff. I'm sure he's listening, so just ask him again. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Well, I, 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 just so you guys know, Peyton Manning's never made any major career decision without first asking me. You know, okay, I thought Because I wrote a couple stories about him, right? Yeah, that's how that works. <laughs> oh, right. man. Second question from M. Birchfield 12. Do you think that playoff points should be reset after each cutoff race? It feels like it would be more drama each round not to have drivers automatically advance because they seem to have so many. It's definitely going to create more drama. I, I, I think um, I don't – I don't like the fact that, you know, the, the four is basically locked into the championship. But 
I mean, on the other side of it, dude's earned it, man. That whole team's earned it. They've they've done, they've been kicking ass for all year. They've got nine wins. We haven't seen anybody win like this. I mean, I don't. What's the highest win count we've seen in a season here recently? Has it been that high? I don't remember anybody getting double digit stuff or close. No, to nobody. No, I oh seven was the last time we had double digits. Yeah, so it's been, this is it's pretty been uh, a long time. Yep. But I mean, a lot of this too has also came in a in a weird way. He's got he has a couple, you know, with no practices and stuff. It's just kind of different, but um he still earned these wins. You're still, you know, cup races and he's got up there and won them, so. I don't care. It it should definitely set the first round and then you can carry over the points that you earn in the first round to the second round. But when you go out and win an undefeated season in football, you don't get a bye to the Super Bowl. You get a bye in the first round. And then you've got to earn it the rest of the way. So, yes, continue to earn your points in the playoffs. Carry those points over. But you should not get a bye to the Super Bowl because you had a successful uh, regular season. What have you done for me lately is, is the name of sports. And you're only as good as your last game, McGee. How many times have you heard that in your sports career? I am. I echo everything that Freddie just said. I don't have anything to add other than just what I said. What have you done for me lately? You're only as good as your last game. Yeah, and get, you get a bump. I mean, I, I got. A, I don't have a problem with with uh, what's essentially a first round buy, which is um. But but you know, if if you're the best team, and and the four is, then okay. Then in theory, you should continue to have success, and that should get you to the end. But you know, um, I have no problem with if the Patriots go sixteen and zero and they make the playoffs and they lose in the first round. They you know what? Or or well, they get a buy and then they lose. Well then. You should have taken care of business. So, yeah, it'll get you there, and I don't have a problem with it being weighted in their favor because a, a regular season should be rewarded. If you're the regular season champion, particularly if you've dominated, you, you should be rewarded. But, yeah, but once you get down to uh, when the whipped cream hits the mix master, as my dad <laughs> likes to say, then, uh, you know, you need to be able to take care of your own business. We didn't have that saying in Long Island, believe the, it or not. I, I mean, <laughs> if, if you're in a situation where you could literally sit out a race after a points reset and still be the points leader the following week, to me, that's not right. I don't care who it is. Yeah, a little much. Yeah. All right, next question from SVT Cobra John. I'd like to hear Ryan's take on NASCAR media in comparison to other sports. Things like focus on crowd size, was the race good or not, penalties versus making the story about the competitors and the actual race, and if he thinks the new car will be good for competition. Um, well, we'll see about the new car. It's a little early on that. Um, the... Uh, I mean, I, you know, what I've been told is there is certainly a step in the right direction. It ain't going to be the car tomorrow. Uh, it's not going to have a wing on it, I don't think. Thank so we'll be, all right. we'll be all right with that. We won't, we're not going to look like Fast and Furious 9 out there with those <laughs> carbon fiber wings. Yeah. That, uh, but, but, uh, but to the other point, the, um, it's an interesting time for sports media in general. I mean, just this last week, Ed Harden, um, who's won the North Carolina Sports Writer of the Year a zillion times, was laid off the papers in the triad he's been a nascar columnist forever um you know so it's a tough time the media core in nascar and motorsports in general is a lot smaller than it was 10 years ago uh there's only a handful of national writers um but i'll say this about the question about crowd size and all that stuff that happens everywhere um I, now i i have always believed i i I'll, nascar is the only place where i ever hear the phrase is this good for the sport i've written columns about this before i don't ever hear in the NFL or college football or whatever is the, you know, hey, Jeff Gordon's on SNL tonight. Is this good for the sport? Like those conversations take place all the time in motorsports and I don't hear it anywhere else. So there is a little bit more of an obsession with um, those things, but listen, 
there are articles written all the time about television ratings in every sport. Um, you know, w- with college football, when the season started Labor Day weekend with only a handful of teams playing, and we had the big Monday night Labor Day game, and instead of Florida State, Virginia Tech, or, you know, Boise State, you know, Alabama, or whatever, you know, it was what BYU Navy, and the ratings weren't great. And there were a lot of articles written about that. So uh, there's an attendance issue in the lower half of college football right now. I write about it all the time. So I think that NASCAR fans are focused on their sport, and rightfully so. And as a result, they think that these articles are only written there. But I'll say this, like the was it a good race thing, I mean, Jeff Gluck does that because that thing drives traffic and people react to it. And he gets a lot of votes on that thing every week. So it drives O'Donnell crazy. <laughs> yeah, but, but but you know what? The, the people are checking in. I mean, and, and they respond. So, um, I, you know, I, the people who are still Bob Parker, Jeff Gluck, Jenna Fryer, um, you know, utter whether you agree with what they're right or whether you don't, um, those people are out there. Dusty Long, Nate, um, they're out there, still out there every week when most people aren't. Yeah. You know, when I was in the media center 20 years ago, it was standing room only. There's a reason all these racetracks built big, gigantic media centers, and now they are best half full for most race weekends. Not Daytona, but but for most race weekends. And so um, you can not agree with what uh, the the small, proud band of, of NASCAR national riders write, but uh, you better be glad they're there because um, uh, more and more with each passing week, the media core everywhere is getting smaller and smaller. smaller, smaller. So uh, whether you agree with them or not, uh, if they disappear – uh, you're going to miss them. I don't have any issue. You know, obviously, I've, I took exception to some of the stuff Utter's been saying lately, you know, calling racist snooze fest and stuff, because I feel like I, I just hate the fact that, you know, people bring negativity to, you know, or or try to drum up negativity. But, like, I got, like, but Utter's there at least. He's at the racetrack. Then, but you got another guy, like my buddy old, uh, what's his name from Yahoo? Um, Bromberg. Don't, he doesn't even come to the races. So, I, they, like, somebody like that drives me insane when they ch- they'll take shots at NASCAR, take shots at NASCAR. When they're not there, you know, they're not even – I feel like they're not part of the sport, but they, they have a column or they have, you know, whatever they're contributing to, and, and they take shots. I just, like, I don't know. I feel like why would you bring negativity to a sport that you're covering? Yeah, and it, but, but um, I, I get that. But uh, – and I think some people overdo it on the negativity. Um, there's no question about that. God rest his soul. We all miss David Poole. I miss him every day. But, but, but Dave – David, a lot of days, thought his job was just to make everybody mad. And, and so th- this is not a new thing. It, it's been around forever. But, you know, h- however you feel about it, particularly in the age of Twitter, I mean, everybody is all kind of a snark fest, and everybody's competing as, as to who, you know, I go, I go cover a college football game, and I look left and right in the press box, and most of the people with the game right in front of them have their head down, and it's a contest to see who can tweet the funniest thing. Now, that, this is coming from a guy who I, I try to be funny on Twitter all the time, but – um, if I write a column that calls the sport out and I don't go to the racetrack that much anymore because ESPN, uh, we just don't, we don't televise it. Uh, I, I still go to more races than I expected to. Uh, I still call my bosses and say, I want to go to Martinsville this weekend. Not this year, obviously, but it's been a regular year. You know, I'm not going to miss Daytona. I'm not going to miss the Indy 500. I'm still going to go to those races, but that doesn't mean just because I love it that I'm not going to write something you know, that you probably, that sometimes you might not agree with, but, uh, but just snark for the, for the, for the sake of snark. Um, you know, that's a social media thing. That's just something that kind of didn't exist 10 years ago. That does now. I love the business side of sports and I'm a huge 
college football fan. That is my favorite sport to follow. Obviously, I work in NASCAR, so I got to say that one doesn't count, right? When right. I watched you walk, talk about last week on Twitter all the things that the presidents of these universities are dealing with, um, football almost is a pimple on a bull's ass in terms of yeah. all the things they're trying to deal with. But but when I look at the sports and business aspect of college football, if if college football didn't happen this year, how many universities could have truly withstood that financially, knowing that that the business, the biggest business, recreational business aspect of their their university is dead? Like if if it didn't happen, what happens to to to, to those universities and those football programs? Well, it, it's it has a, a huge impact on the athletic department. I mean, the entire athletic department budget, all due respect to basketball, the, the entire athletic department budget at, at every school, uh, at the what we call the FBS level, which is called one AA, um, that's Tennessee, Alabama, USC, Texas, whoever, th- that is all football-centric. Um, the university itself, it's a speed bump. Um, I- I've used the example a million times over the last few months. University of Florida, easily one of the most successful athletic departments across all sports, of the last 25 years. They've won national championships in baseball, football, basketball, I mean, everything. Um, their budget is about $150, $160 million. They have 110 football players. The University of Florida, uh, it just in Gainesville, not the system, has 55,000 on-campus students, and their budget is $6 billion. Billion. What a B. Billion, with a B. Yeah. Um, you know, all this talk about the That's Big it. Ten. I, I, I looked it up. I looked it up not too long ago, you know, Yes, football is super, super important at Ohio State, and athletics are super, super important at Ohio State. Their annual budget's about eight billion dollars. Wow! The, the 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 budget for the athletic department isn't isn't quite the two hundred million. So, for a university president, and you're talking again, I, I keep going back to my dad. We wrote a book. Um, he was a university president. It was a Division two school, Wingate University, outside of Charlotte. He's president of school for twenty years. And athletics, college, great place to go to school. Yeah, there you go. And it, but in in the pie chart of his day, athletics was a tiny little slice of it, and the rest of it is dealing with faculty and dealing with all these other things. Now, there's no question that athletics affects, um, you know, admissions. It affects uh, applications to the school. It affects donations from alums. All those things. There's no question. There's there's a bigger impact than just 150 million or whatever dollar budget, but. Uh, when you are the president of Ohio State University, um, you are the, the conference call to vote on whether or not to play football is probably your 20th conference call of the day. And it might be the 10th most important thing you deal with that day. So I've tried to cut them slack. Um, it's been frustrating. The, the Big Ten in particular couldn't handle it worse publicly. But, uh, but yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating, fascinating thing. But, but I, I tell you, one thing that's really shocked me, and you guys deal with this on a daily basis, are people – like my friends in the media center who think we know how the sport works of NASCAR. And we don't really know because we've never handled a contract. You know, we don't never been on the spotter stand. You know, we've never sat in a motor coach or been in the car with the driver who's crushed because he finished third instead of winning the race and is going to lose his deal. We've, I've never dealt with any of that. And I've been really surprised at how many of my really, really esteemed hall of fame colleagues in college football and the media side don't even know how universities work. And they, they don't even know how athletic departments work. But you've had to learn it now because because of COVID. Man, I'm proud of you for uh, for all you've done in your career. Obviously, still a lot left to be done. Like like I said, been friends with you a long time, man. Appreciate you coming on 
Huge fan of, uh, of of Marty Smith as well. Maybe we'll get him on sometime. I'm sorry. I wanted to have yeah, the bigger well, name on first. That's why you're here first. Well, I appreciate that. And Marty, listen, uh, good luck. If you get Marty on, tell him to call me because he don't ever call me back anymore now. He's a he's big deal. I, I he's, down, got- he's down at- he down at Georgia Tech last weekend with those ugly pants. I'm not sure what he was doing on the sideline. Y'all, y'all, that was a, y'all, y'all were a little busy on Saturday, but his pants were like this whole social media thing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, that's not a compliment, brother. I thought didn't you guys just have a conjugal visit though? I think I, th- I thought I saw that somewhere. <laughs> you like that? Yeah. So Marty Marty had the Georgia Tech UCF game on Saturday, and he was sitting. He did his half of Marty McGee on Saturday morning from a hotel room, and it looked like he was in like the conjugal visit trailer, like outside the minimum security prison. And I said on the air, I go, "Welcome back to Conjugal Visit," and uh, the bosses, the bosses weren't uh, weren't super pumped about that. But hey, I'm proud of you boys. I love the show. Uh, listen every week, and uh, I've known Schultz. I feel like since he was about nine years old, so I'm proud of him too. Thank about uh, two years, even though he didn't know what segment we were. We got in. we got but, Matthew uh, Dillerson behind the camera. You can't see him, but he's still here with us too. Yeah, well, I've known Dillner since he was like uh, Dillner used to work for me. I don't think I was a great boss, but uh, we worked he said no. a long time. He said you suck. Yeah. He's, shaking. he's flipping the hey, camera all, off for some reason. All, 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 he ever, all he ever used to say back in the totally NASCAR days was, man, we got these stores on lost speedways. I'm like, man, nobody wants to hear about that. And now it's the greatest show streaming on television. He's so, a genius. I didn't know. All right, you boys are the best. And, hey, this is for you. Go Devil Dogs. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, McGee. All See right. you, brother. Later, brother. Stay in touch. See you, man. Thanks. <laughs> Anything to rant about? Yes. I think we ranted about lap cars. <laughs> uh, well, I'll tell you what pissed me off the other night. And I, I can't stand people that give you condescending comments. And what was driving me crazy the other night was the race director saying, on what your problem is, there's only two lanes to pick for him. What's taking so long? Like, it's just easy. Like, oh, yeah, we're just going to roll up to the box and go left or right. Like, uh, for one, he's like, oh, it went way smoother. So, for context... As we're coming to the choose box, they had to wave off the green flag a couple times because they were still choosing as the cars were in the middle of the backstretch. So the race director gets on there and starts making comments pretty condescendingly, I thought, that was like, "What? Well, it's only two lanes to pick from. What's so difficult about they, that? They did it just fine the last two nights. Yeah, they just did it. They, they were, everybody else was fine. Well, yeah, they, were, they had eight less cars for one to start there. Um, and... It, like it's a lot goes into that. Like you're for the whole lap before that, you're talking about scenarios of where guys are going to go, what position you're in, what the breakdown number is, where you're going to choose the top or bottom, and and it's not as easy as just we're going to roll up to this orange box and go left or right, and it's going to be based off the guy in front of us or whatever. So it's just something like that when they're just you're belittling something that we're putting a lot of effort into because it's causing you. I think at Martinsville, Bristol, it should be all right. We're going to choose this time. It's two to go at the line. All right, We've been get calling it, for that forever. Get everybody, to, yeah, get everybody to, to to choose. Get them lined up down the backstretch. We come now. You're coming to one to go, and we're coming to green. Your only other option, in my opinion, TJ, is at these tracks, these short tracks, to move the choose V before start finish, and yeah. and then you call one to go on the backstretch, and we choose back there, or we choose coming out of four. That's the only way to solve the problem. Because to, yeah. to Freddie's point, there's there's. 30 people that really care which lane they're in in the cup race. Let's be honest. In the truck race and in the Xfinity race, there's only about 12. Yeah. The other guys are just picking where they're picking to try not to wreck because they're out there not to wreck. So I kind of watched what was happening to create that, and you got guys that are playing games coming up to the, the restart deal. Like if you know 
you got guys scrubbing their tires across three different lanes, the bottom, across the middle, and then all the way to the top, and then they, they get to the box and they swerve one side. I've seen a couple guys. I saw the leader do that a couple times. Exactly. Like, if you know where you're going to go, just start creeping up there so we can get it over with quicker. And you know where you're going to go. He's not making his decision right before the line. He knows where he's going to go. And I saw a couple guys, even in, uh, in the truck race, line up on the outside, then right before the line, they'd swerve all the way to the bottom. Like, who are you trying to fool here? Like, just pick the lane that's going to be best for you. Don't worry about what other people are going to do behind you. Like, it's it's turning into a it's turning into a mind game. Well, and, and it doesn't need to for the guy. You know where you're going to pick depending on the guy in front of you. He doesn't need to juke you out. Like, it's, it, you're not hitting the spin button here, juke move, and Madden here. <laughs> like, just pick your lane. And we have guys that are – and I don't know what he's doing, but um, twice – Twice I looked back and saw the 19, about 15 car lengths behind the next car it, it going to the restart. You're like, come on, man. Like, just pick your lane and go. It's your go. Yeah. Like, it's one of two things have to happen here. Either you have to, me, Bubba is probably one of the easiest guys to work with as far as a choose cone because it's, he's done it so many times with legend cards. It's as simple as me telling him what position you're running in and I count the cars in the preferred lane. And he knows whether he wants to go down there or go to the top because he, you know, if we're, 22nd, you and 11 guys line up on the bottom, you're giving up a row. So, so you're going to go the other way, whatever. So, can you text Clint that? <laughs> we, do, we do the same thing. I mean, we count, we know, we, we count the bottom. There's going to be shorter cars on the bottom most time. So, we count the bottom. But Clint, if I say four cars are on the bottom, you take the top. Four cars are on the bottom. Uh, hey, Johnny, we just went to the bottom. <laughs> Yeah, everybody has a different method of it too, though. There's look, it's, it's up to the driver. At the end of the day, I'm giving Clint because I love him, but it, uh, it it does add another element to our responsibility as a spotter because sometimes 100%. sometimes Clint wants me to tell him exactly what to do, and other times he wants the information. Yeah, hundred percent. I, just, I just, that just drove me crazy. And they did it like three restarts in a row, and I was getting pissed off. Well, I was fine with him being upset until he said. The other two series did it fine. It's like, well, the same spotters were spotting them two series too, Berman. Like, you think it's us? It's not us. Don't be screaming at us. Yeah. They, even when we didn't do the choose cone, we had issues getting lined up. Hold the one to go because we couldn't even double up. Because David Hooch left. How are, we supposed to, uh, how are we supposed to choose, you know, how are we supposed to make more decisions, you know, now and get lined up? So. NASCAR's got that and a lot better. They've, they've done a tremendous job of that this year compared to when they had to fill that void. And we're all learning this as we go, too, though. So, I thought you already knew everything. Uh, not the choose cone. Never done that before in my life. There's no cone. There's, yeah. Choose box. Choose cone. B. Choose V. DBC picks. TJ, congratulations. You won at Bristol with Kyle Busch, but Brett still leads 11 yeah, to 10 to, to 8. So bad. I told you all I wanted Harvick, I damn it. Him. I still jinxed him. He didn't win because of me. Well, literally. I mean, y'all wouldn't let me have Harvick. I had the winner picked. Uh, so, who's going first, Freddie? Freddie? You're first. I can't decide. I can't either. I'm in trouble. I, there's two guys I want to pick. One I really kind of had circled, but he's had such a bad playoff that I don't want to pick him now. But I'm going to pick him anyway. I'm going to go Ryan Blaney. That's who yeah, I was kind of going to pick, too. Right. <laughs> Nothing to lose. I'm next. Oh, here we go. Can I get Harvick again? Is that, no. Is that denied. on the table? <laughs> uh, look, if, if Blaney – I'm only really racing Freddie at this point unless TJ comes out with a miracle. So if, if Freddie is picking Blaney – it's going who, for the who win, doesn't man. have anything to do other than try to win. I'm going to have to go with a guy that won there last time, Joey Logano. You thought I was going to say Joey Gase, didn't you? Oh, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I had you. Definitely had you. What did he win there Gase. last time? Slots? <laughs> um, man, uh, I want to Blaney for this one, but shoot. 
taking all my picks. I don't want to pick ourselves. So who don't can't. I want to I just win? Picked you. I know, but who don't <laughs> you I want? Pick your nose. To win you can't here. pick yourself. Let me go with a guy that had a good run there last time. Gave up the gave up the bottom on a late late race restart, but had some speed. Um, let me go with William Byron. Willie B. Wow, two non playoff guys. You guys are crazy. Guys are, guys are crazy. Hey, keep your uh, do me a favor, everybody listening. Obviously, OfferPad plays a big role in our show, uh, presenting sponsor. When you see those guys this weekend, they're going to make their uh, debut in NASCAR. We need you guys to go to OfferPad.com and, and show them some love. I mean, when you see these sponsors come in, they're looking for a return. And, and in this case, they're looking for people to visit their website. So when you see OfferPad this weekend, you're probably going to see it a lot of the time uh, in Xfinity race. Go visit OfferPad. Show them some love. We need it. What a what a time to sell your house. <laughs> I know. Just go get an offer right now. Get yeah. out, then yeah. go buy another one with OfferPad. So <laughs> many markets are booming in the suburbs and, and obviously in the south and in Vegas even. I mean, i got friends that live out there. And, uh, but what, what a great time. So go to the website, visit OfferPad.com. We love you guys. Thank you. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.